Bill Moyers. It's good to have your ear. This week on Moyers and Company, exposing the shadowy world of ALEC, an update on the strategy to remake America one statehouse at a time. I was stunned at the notion that politicians and corporate representatives, corporate lobbyists were actually voting behind closed doors on these changes to the law. Through ALEC, you can change the whole country without ever going to Washington, without ever having to go through a congressional hearing, without ever having to lobby on Capitol Hill, without ever having to talk to a president. There are some things in the United States, like courts, legislatures, public education, that really need to remain public. I mean, that's the heart of what we are as a democracy. Thanks for joining us. What if you were a corporation that stood to make a bundle if oil from the Canadian tar sands was imported by the United States? And what if you thought federal laws to protect the environment were going to stop that oil importing from happening? You'd set your sights on Washington, spread some money around inside the Beltway, hire big gun lobbyists to wine and dine the politicians, and stroke the regulators to let the free market work. Right? Right. You would do all that, but you wouldn't stop there. You'd also take your battle to the states, because if you can get laws that serve your interest in one state capital after another, it might not matter much what Washington has to say about it, especially in a time like this when our national government is polarized, paralyzed, and dysfunctional, and an obstinate minority is determined to keep it that way. Our 50 state capitals have long been the place where things happen. The taxes you pay, the roads you drive on, the quality of the air you breathe and the water you drink, your right to privacy and your right to vote, these all bear the imprint of laws passed by the legislature in your home state. This report is about how some of those laws get enacted thanks to an organization called ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, a consortium of corporations and state legislators with so much muscle they're changing the country one law at a time, one state at a time. In the case of those Canadian tar sands, ALEC reportedly turned to an oil industry lobby for a bill that makes it hard for the states to slow the flow of Canadian crude into this country, no matter the environmental consequences. This is how ALEC has worked for years, pushing changes state by state that could never have been achieved if they had been put to the test of open and broad popular support. ALEC has been so successful working its will behind closed doors in secret that most Americans had never even heard of it until recently. ALEC had never even been subjected to scrutiny on national television until the documentary report we broadcast last fall. That was a collaboration between Okapi Productions and the Schumann Media Center that I head. Schumann supports independent journalists and public watchdog groups like the Center for Media and Democracy and Common Cause. They're investigators have been tracking the intersection between money and politics and finding Alex squarely in the middle of it all across the country. There have been some new developments since our broadcast. So here's that report, expanded and updated on the United States of Alec. Religious right activist Paul Warrick. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. Representative Steve Farley. I've often told people that I talk to out on the campaign trail to, when they say, state what? When I say I'm running for the state legislature, I tell them that the decisions that are made here in the legislature are often more important for your everyday life than the decisions the president makes. Journalist John Nichols. If you really want to influence the politics of this country, you don't just give money to presidential campaigns. You don't just give money to congressional campaign committees. Smart players put their money in the states. Ronald Reagan. Alec has forged a unique partnership between state legislators and leaders from the corporate and business community. This partnership offers businessmen the extraordinary opportunity to apply their talents to solve our nation's problems and build on our opportunities. The Center for Media and Democracy's Lisa Graves. I was stunned at the notion that politicians and corporate representatives, corporate lobbyists were actually voting 
behind closed doors on these changes to the law before they were introduced in state houses across the country. Ohio Representative John Boehner. ALEC uh, has been, I think, uh, a wonderful organization. Uh, not only does it bring uh, like-minded legislators together, but the private sector uh, engagement and partnership uh, in ALEC is, is really what I think makes it uh, the organization that it is. The late Bob Edgar corporate influence is tainting the legislative process, particularly out across the states, and average Americans are paying the price. The American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC. It's headquartered in Arlington, Virginia, but it operates in every capital in the country, and its efforts produce some hundreds of new state laws each year. Again, John Nichols. Well, I cover politics for a living, so I've known about ALEC for a long time. I was always conscious of ALEC, but to be honest, not that excited about it. Center for Media and Democracy's Mary Bottari. I just thought it was, you know, folks got together and discussed their policy issues. That's all I knew. And, uh, and that's not unusual. And, uh, and that's how they portray themselves today. Uh, but now with this project, we've learned all sorts of things that we didn't know. In 2011, an investigation began, cloak and dagger style, at the nonprofit Center for Media and Democracy. In the spring, I got a call from a person who said that all of the ALEC bills were available and was I interested in looking at them? Uh, and I said, I was. In early April, Lisa Graves, the head of the center, received a document drop from an ALEC insider. These are the bills that were provided by the whistleblower. That's just the index. <laughs> they would come to tell a story, she says, of how a seemingly innocuous nonprofit was actually fronting for some of the world's most powerful corporations. Alec had been changing the country by changing its laws one state at a time. I remember the day well. It was uh, first thing in the morning and I looked at the bills and I was astonished until I saw the bills and the depth and breadth and duration. I did not have a full understanding of their reach and their impact. Graves was familiar with some of the bills because versions of them had already become law in many states, but she'd had no idea Alec was behind them. Bills to change the law to make it harder for American citizens to vote, those were Alec bills. Bills to dramatically change the rights of Americans who are killed or injured by corporations, those were Alec bills. Bills to make it harder for unions to do their work were ALEC bills. Bills to basically block climate change agreements, those were ALEC bills. The Center for Media and Democracy is a small, nonprofit investigative reporting group. Researchers here knew the documents they'd gotten had enormous implications. ALEC had been around for nearly four decades, but no one on the outside was even certain exactly who belonged to it. Graves and her team began to plow through ALEC documents, as well as public sources, to compile a list of the organizations and people who were or had been ALEC members. They found hundreds of corporations, from Coca-Cola and Coke Industries to ExxonMobil, Pfizer, and Walmart, dozens of right-wing think tanks and foundations, two dozen corporate law and lobbying firms, and some thousand state legislators, a few of them Democrats, the majority of them Republican. After I spent some time really looking through the bills, I went to dinner with my colleague here, Mary Batari, and her husband, John Nichols. Lisa called us and said, I have some stuff. I don't know how much stuff I have, but I have some stuff. I think this is going to be a big story. This is an incredible thing. You know, Alec, this organization that's usually been, you know, very much behind the scenes, sort of the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. The center was about to go on a mission. I was determined to really break through the story of Alex and how its operations actually work. I was also determined that this not be like a WikiLeaks situation where there was no context and, and no real storytelling about them. But telling that story wouldn't be easy. Alec does its most important business behind closed doors. And just understanding all of the bills was a task in itself. And we decided to call in the troops. University of Wisconsin professor Joel Rogers has written widely on public policy, 
he was enlisted to examine the bills affecting working people. So one big thing that Alec was excited about were these living wage laws. Have you heard of that? That were passing around cities and they, would, they had a bill where they said the states should preempt that. They should use their power to forbid that. So it's not, it's not cuddly, you know, let's have some neighborhood grassroots, you know, lively democracy. For health care issues, they called in a former insurance company executive turned industry watchdog and whistleblower, Wendell Potter. Even though I had known of the organization for a long time, I was astonished. Just about everything that, that I knew that the health insurance industry wanted out of uh, uh, any state lawmaker was included in that package of, of, uh, of bills. Potter found among the ALEC documents a resolution to urge Congress to privatize Medicare, a bill that would limit the amount of money a plaintiff could win in a medical malpractice suit, and another that would thwart any effort by the federal government to impose a health insurance mandate. Again, Mary Batari. Also, in the ALEC archive, there's a giant stack of school choice bills, and they're fat bills, too. It's this little slice of school choice and that little slice of school vouchers, and it's basically a long-term agenda of how to privatize public education. And it was, this was not our issue area. So I started asking friends, who can I talk to about school choice and school vouchers? And everybody pointed to Julie. Julie Underwood, attorney and professor of education at the University of Wisconsin. I've done education policy for a long time. Many times said, you know, people are trying to defund and dismantle public education. But I'd never put all of these forces together until I saw all of those documents. The kind of changes that ALEC is trying to impose in, on public education isn't really just mild reform. It's actually creating a drastically different kind of educational system than what we have now. ALEC describes itself as a nonpartisan partnership of state legislators, members of the private sector, and the general public, devoted to limited government, free enterprise, and Jeffersonian principles. Founded close to 40 years ago, it produces what it calls model legislation, proposed laws that its legislative members introduce into state houses throughout the country as their own. Alex says close to a thousand bills, based at least in part on its models, are introduced each year and an average of 200 pass. Again, John Nichols. Alec doesn't run candidates. Alec doesn't train candidates. Alec doesn't uh, really play politics, you know, on election day. ALEC plays the day after the election. They look at who got elected and they say, you should join ALEC. ALEC's members and representatives either refused or didn't respond to interview requests for this story. But it's not hard to get the group's philosophical point of view. ALEC's own videos help to do that. Listen to the Wall Street Journal Stephen Moore, a member of ALEC's Board of Scholars. If you want to get more revenues out of rich people, the enduring lesson of the last 50 years is you cut their tax rates so you don't raise them. And by the way, that's an important lesson for you all as state legislators. Or the Freedom Foundation's Bob Williams, another ALEC scholar. This is really a great time to resize government and really hold the feet to the fire. Thank you. Or Leonard Gilroy of the Reason Foundation, speaking at an ALEC policy summit. Actually, it's, it's a pleasure to be able to stand here today and say that uh, there are actually cities that very closely resemble what we envisioned uh, many decades ago, where you have pretty much the private sector running almost entirely everything in the city. ALEC is a corporate dating service for lonely legislators and corporate special interests that eventually the relationship culminates with uh, some special interest legislation, and hopefully uh, that lives happily uh, ever after is the ALEC model uh, unfortunately, what's excluded from that equation is the public. Democrat Mark Pocan, now a member of the U.S. Congress, was until recently a Wisconsin state representative. He is one of Alec's loudest critics. This is part of a national conservative movement that's involved in all 50 states that introduces the same cookie-cutter legislation state by state on behalf of their corporate paid members. By one count, nearly a third of Wisconsin's lawmakers are Alec members. When you look around, uh, especially on the Republican side of the aisle, uh, a lot of members of ALEC. Uh, front row, ALEC. <laughs> when you start going down to um, you know, the, the chair of finance and some of the other members are all ALEC members. In fact, ALEC co-chair for the state. Uh, row by row, you can point out people who've been members of ALEC uh, over the years. 
there's two main categories they have. One is uh, how to reduce the size of government, uh, and the other half of it is this model legislation that's in the corporate good. In other words, there's profit-driven legislation. How can you open up a new market? How can you privatize something that can open up a market for a company? And between those two divisions, you're kind of getting to the same end goal, which is really kind of ultimate privatization of everything. Mark Pocan is something of an expert on ALEC. In fact, to learn as much about it as he could, he became a member. What, I, what I'd realize is if you join ALEC for a mere $100 as a legislator, you have the full access like any corporate member. Those corporate members pay up to $25,000 for that privilege. For a first-hand look at how corporations interact with ALEC legislators, Pocan took himself to an ALEC conference. Hi, I'm State Representative Mark Pocan and welcome to my video blog. Uh, I'm outside of the Marriott on Canal Street in New Orleans at the ALEC convention, the American Legislative Exchange Council. That was where you watched the interaction of a room full of lobbyists. You know, free drinks, free cigars, whining, dining. Uh, many people just came from a dinner that was sponsored by some special interest, coming to a party that's sponsored by a special interest so they can continue to talk about special interest. Here's Lisa Graves. This is from um, the New Orleans Convention. This includes a number of seminars um, that they held for legislators, including one called uh, Warming Up to Climate Change, the many benefits of increased atmospheric CO2. That 2011 ALEC conference, lo and behold, was sponsored by BP, ExxonMobil, Chevron, and Shell, among others. Another event featured guns. This is the NRA-sponsored uh, shooting event for legislators and for lobbyists. Free. There was even one offering free cigars. Sponsored by Reynolds American, which is one of the biggest tobacco companies in the world, uh, and the Cigar Association of America. Despite it all, Alec says it's not engaged in a lobbying effort. In fact, Alec operates not as a lobby group, but as a nonprofit, a charity. In its filing with the IRS, Alex says its mission is education, which means it pays no taxes and its corporate members get a tax write-off. Its legislators get a lot too. Again, Mark Pocan. In Wisconsin, I can't take anything of value from a lobbyist. I can't take a cup of coffee from a, a lobbyist. At Alec, it's just the opposite. You know, you get there and you're being wined and dined by corporate interests. I can go down there and be wined and dined for, for days in order to hear about their special legislation. I mean, the head of Shell Oil flew in on his private jet to come to this conference. The head of one of the largest utility companies in the country was there on a panel, a utility company in 13 states, and here he is presenting to legislators. I mean, they clearly brought in some of the biggest corporate names uh, in special interest dumb and uh, had them meeting with uh, legislators because a lot of business transpires at these events. The most important business takes place behind closed doors. Researcher Nick Sergey of the watchdog group Common Cause would delve deep into internal ALEC documents to figure out what goes on inside ALEC's task forces. There are currently eight of them, with a corporate take on every important issue in American life, from health and safety to the environment and taxation. They have corporate members and legislators who are members of these task forces. Corporations can pay to be members of a task force or multiple task forces, depending on what interests they have and what legislation they want to promote. Sergey, who now works for the Center for Media and Democracy, has in some cases been able to determine which corporations sit on which task forces producing which model bills. For example, there's a civil justice task force that mainly concerns access to the courts. In 2011, that task force included lobbyists from companies that could face serious legal penalties if their products are found to harm or to kill. They included tobacco giant Altria and drug makers Pfizer and GlaxoSmithKline. There's another task force with a bill designed to exempt energy companies from disclosing some of the chemicals they inject underground. That task force has included companies that manufacture or inject plenty of those chemicals. Coke Industries, Chevron, BP, and the company that sponsored the bill at ALEC, ExxonMobil. Five states have introduced or passed versions of that ALEC bill. ALEC says elected legislators, not corporations, fully control the model legislation process. But Nick Sergey, 
read Alec's operating procedures and found a different story. If the corporations do not vote for a model bill, it does not become an Alec model. We've seen an example uh, in the telecommunications task force where the legislators voted 17 to 1 to approve a telecoms bill. They clearly, the will of the legislators was for it to become an ALEC model. However, the corporations voted and tied 8-8, which meant that it was killed. It didn't become an ALEC model. Again, Lisa Graves. And I can understand why a corporate lobbyist wants to have an equal say to an elected representative. Who wouldn't? Um, but the fact is, is that I have been a lobbyist before. It has never been the case that any, any legislator has said to me, uh, here's the plan. You get an equal say to me, and if you, don't, if you don't agree, the bill doesn't go forward. There is a model bill for you to review if you might be interested in introducing such a measure. This is Jerry Watson senior legal counsel for the American Bail Coalition, speaking at an ALEC meeting in 2007. Now, if you don't like the precise language of these suggested documents, uh, can they be tweaked by your legislative counsel? Well, absolutely. And will we work with them on that and work with you and your staff on that? Absolutely. This video provides a rare look at a private sector representative pitching a bill to ALEC's legislative members. But I'm not so crazy as not to know that you've already figured out that if I can talk you into doing this bill, my clients are going to make a mo some money on the bond premiums. But if we can help you save crime victims in your legislative district and generate positive revenue for your state and help solve your prison overcrowding problem. You don't mind me making a dollar. These guys uh, who are paying to be part of this organization are not there just to be nice. They're there to get something out of it. The late Bob Edgar was the president of Common Cause until early this year. We interviewed him in 2012. Normally, uh, lobbyists have to register. Normally, corporations have to disclose their lobbying activity. But here, under the guise of a nonprofit, these corporate uh, lawyers and corporate officials are sitting side by side with mostly conservative state legislators. Um, they're shaping these bills. Again, Mark Bocan. When I went down to New Orleans to the ALEC convention last August, there was a proposal to provide special needs scholarships. And lo and behold, all of a sudden I come back to Wisconsin and what gets introduced? Get ready, I know you're going to have shock look on your face. A bill to do just that. That special needs bill was sponsored by 26 ALEC members in the Wisconsin State Legislature. But the real sponsor was ALEC. Mark Pocan knew because the bill bore a striking resemblance to ALEC's model. If the average person knew that a bill like this came from some group like ALEC, you look at the bill very differently and you might look at that legislator a little differently about why they introduced it. This is not about education. Again, Mark Bocan. This is not about helping kids with special needs. Uh, this is about privatization. This is about corporate profits. And this is about dismantling public education. The bill passed in the Wisconsin House, but failed to make it through the Senate. However, in his 2012 education report card, Alec boasted that similar bills have become law in Oklahoma, Louisiana, North Carolina, and Ohio. And it's not just special needs education. Alec's education agenda includes online schooling as well. Here's Professor Julie Underwood. There's a model Alec bill called the Virtual Public Schools Act which actually creates cyber academies. When kids enroll in Connections Academy. Where children receive all of their instruction in front of a computer. Um, they don't go to school, they don't interact with adults, they don't interact with other children. All of their instruction is received online. Senator Dolores Gresham of Tennessee. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, House Bill 1030 has to do with the establishment of virtual public schools. In 2011, an online schooling bill based on the ALEC model turned up in another state where ALEC has a powerful influence, 
Tennessee. It was introduced in both the state Senate and House by ALEC members. Like the special needs bill in Wisconsin, this one too had its opponents. Representative Mike Stewart of Tennessee. We have never opened up our state to virtual schools broadly, and that's why we have an army of lobbyists outside, many of you may have talked to them, trying right now to pass this Virtual Schools Act. And the concern I have is that whether you like them or don't like them, the fact is that virtual schools involve a dramatic transfer of sizable amounts of money to private sector for-profit companies. And there was something else that Julie Underwood found dramatic about Alec's model online education bill. In 2004, Alec had credited two of the nation's largest for-profit online education corporations, Connections Academy and K-12 Inc., with helping to craft the Virtual Schools Act. You can actually follow the line where you see a corporate interest and this model piece of legislation that then was proposed pretty much in whole um, in Tennessee. K-12 then lobbied for the bill and began to benefit almost immediately after it was passed in Tennessee. Lo and behold, they get a no-bid contract to provide these services in Tennessee. So it's not even a leap of faith or imagination. You can see the steps where you see the corporations creating a piece of model legislation, lobbying for it, being successful, and then having that accrue to their bottom line. What's the purpose of privatizing education in the United States? Because there are some things in the United States, like courts, legislatures, public education, that really need to remain public. I mean, that's the heart of what we are as a democracy. And what Alex seems to be doing is taking public education and legislation and privatizing them. Alex Lori Roman. Individual liberty, free enterprise, limited government, whether you are a state legislator. The philosophy of privatization scholar, goes way back. It came to Alec by way of conservative economist Milton Friedman. Every decision you have made on one of these issues has been influenced by Dr. Friedman's work, whether at that very moment you were realizing it or not. And it is my greatest honor to introduce you to Dr. Milton Friedman. The real problem is how do we get to a system in which parents control the education of their children? Of course, the ideal way would be to abolish the, school, uh, the public school system and eliminate all the taxes that pay for it. But Alec was spawned in 1973 in part as the brainchild of a very different conservative icon. We are talking about Christianizing America. The noted activist of the religious right, Paul Warrick. We are talking about simply spreading the gospel in a political context. Paul Weyrich was the key strategist of the new right and the right-wing backlash that began really strongly with the election of Ronald Reagan as president. Archivist Chip Burley studies the right-wing movement. He was a Christian conservative who was also a political strategist and really wanted to roll back the role of government in the society and, and cut back taxes, cut back Social Security, cut back all of the social welfare programs that the Roosevelt administration had established. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by... Warwick recognized that too much democracy could endanger his movement. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. Another of his contributions was the recognition that the movement would never succeed if it only focused on Washington. Again, Joel Rogers. He was not interested in the next cycle. He was not certainly not interested in the next candidate, which is what the left or the liberals have always been obsessed by. You know, let's just get Obama in, or let's do this or that, and we'll be saved. Uh, no, it was always about building an infrastructure, building a real machine, especially at the state and local level. We have been far too presidentially focused and far less focused on state and local conservatism, which is where it ought to begin. People say, well, how do you know what they think? Because they tell you. Berlay has collected ALEC documents going back several decades. Among them is a 1979 ALEC fundraising letter showing how quickly 
Alec moved into the realm of practical politics. Its author, Utah Republican Senator Orrin Hatch. I'm totally convinced that if you and I are to regain control of our schools, our homes, our businesses, and our government, it must be through a concerted effort on the state and local level. That is why I joined the American Legislative Exchange Council. As time goes on, ALEC draws more and more interest from corporate funders who begin to see it as a way to get their pet projects brought down to the state level. And so somewhere between around 1974 and 1980, you see ALEC transform into a very powerful organization with scores of corporations involved in it, putting out sample state policy legislation packets on many different issues. This is a list, and it says some of our corporate and foundation donors. It's tiny type, and it fills a lot of the page. The Allstate Foundation, the American Petroleum Institute, Chevron, um, Exxon, uh, Illinois Manufacturers Association, Gulf Oil, Iowa Power and Light. It's quite a, quite a list. Anti-government sentiment, Christian activist certainty, power both political and corporate, it was a potent mix that helped propel Alec's success. An early 80s annual report, for example, boasted that literally every state has been influenced by the work of Alec. Scores of Alec's model bills have been enacted into law throughout the country. Ronald Reagan. The critical questions of our day will be decided by state legislators. How our children are educated, how we are protected from crime, ALEC has forged a unique partnership between state legislators and leaders from the corporate and business community. George H.W. Bush. I value our partnership, our dynamic partnership, and look forward to working with you in the years ahead. ALEC's 1995 report got specific. 978 bills introduced, 231 passed. Over half the states passed ALEC laws that would lengthen prison sentences. Meanwhile, bills to foster the rise of for-profit prisons were introduced in seven states. Eight states enacted bills creating medical savings accounts, which would shift costs from insurance companies to policyholders. So-called civil justice bills, which would limit the amount corporations pay if their products kill or injure someone, were introduced or enacted more than 20 times. Alex Head at the time boasted with our success rate at more than 20%, I would say that ALEC is a good investment. Nowhere else can you get a return that high. And as ALEC grew more influential, it became a home not just for corporations and conservative politicians, but for their fellow travelers, the billionaire bankrollers of the American right. David Koch of Koch Industries. Five years ago, my brother Charles and I uh, provided the funds to start uh, the Americans for Prosperity. And uh, it's beyond my wildest dreams how AFP has grown into this enormous uh, organization. Again, John Nichols. The Koch brothers, David and Charles Koch, two of the wealthiest men in America, two of the wealthiest men in the world, are incredibly active political players. They like to form organizations and help them to grow and, and to put ideas into the mix as the great funders of the structures of conservative and, frankly, pro-corporate politics. And they were very early funders of and active players with ALEC. David and Charles Koch, the billionaire businessmen behind a vast industrial empire, are also political activists with an agenda. Their companies and foundations have been ALEC members and funders for years. The Koch brothers get that if you really want to influence the politics of this country, you don't just give money to presidential campaigns. You don't just give money to congressional campaign committees. The smart ones, the smart players, put their money in the states because it's state government that funds education, social services, and it taxes. And so if you want to play big-time politics, you play in 50 state capitals. And so through ALEC, you can change the whole country without ever going to Washington, without ever having to go through a congressional hearing, without ever having to lobby on Capitol Hill, without ever having to talk to a president. If anyone demonstrates the success of the Koch brothers and ALEC at the state level, it's Scott Walker. 
Wisconsin's governor is almost a household name today. The whole nation watched the grateful Walker survive a bitter recall election fight in June of 2012. I want to thank God for his abundant grace. But before he hit the national scene, Walker spent close to a decade in the Wisconsin legislature, where he became a member of ALEC. In 2010, he ran not presenting himself as an ALEC alumni or as an ally of big corporations or, or big business people outside the state. He ran a very down-home campaign. This is my lunch. I pack a brown bag each day so I can save some money to spend on, you know, the more important things in life, like sending my kids to college. John Nichols says that despite the folksy image, in the years leading up to Walker's 2010 campaign, he had become a master political fundraiser. And he began to really forge incredibly close ties with a lot of corporate interests that he had first been introduced to in ALEC, individuals and, and groups like uh, the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers were among the two or three largest contributors to Scott Walker's campaign for governor of Wisconsin. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. The new governor moved quickly with a raft of ALEC-inspired bills. They included a law that made it easier to carry concealed weapons. There was a resolution opposing the mandated purchase of health insurance. And of course, there was a law limiting corporate liability. The Wisconsin legislature passed a so-called tort reform measure that included parts of eight different ALEC models. ALEC was elated, praising Walker and the legislature in a press release for their, quote, immediate attention to reforming the state's legal system. But Scott Walker was also shooting for another big ALEC prize. Now, some have questioned why we have to reform collective bargaining. Taking away workers' collective bargaining rights. That had long been an ALEC goal. A candid video caught him talking about it with one of his financial backers, a billionaire businesswoman, Diane Hendricks. We're going to start in a couple weeks with our budget adjustment bill. The first step is uh, we're going to deal with uh, collective bargaining for all public employee unions because you divide and conquer. Despite an extraordinary public outcry, this is not just a rule. and after a brief but intense political struggle, Walker's anti-collective bargaining measures became state law. It was Alec's ideas, Alec's values that permeated the bill and undid almost 50 years, more than 50 years, of collective bargaining law in Wisconsin. But again, remember, this isn't just about one state. It's about every state. Take Arizona, practically an Alec subsidiary. One report last year found that 49 of Arizona's 90 legislators were members, and two-thirds of the Republican leadership were on ALEC task forces. The governor, Jan Brewer, was an ALEC member too. All of us here are very familiar with ALEC and the influence that ALEC has with many of the members here. ALEC's domination of Arizona proved too much for State Representative Steve Farley. I just want to emphasize, it's fine for corporations to be involved in this process. Corporations have the right to present their arguments, but they don't have the right to do it secretly. They don't have the right to lobby people and not register as lobbyists. They don't have the right to take people away on trips, convince them of them, send them back here, and then nobody's seen what's really gone on and how that legislator has gotten that idea and where is it coming from. Last year, Farley introduced a bill to force legislators to disclose their ALEC ties just as the law already requires them to do with any lobbyist. All I'm asking in the Alec Accountability Act is to make sure that all of those expenses are reported as if they are lobbying expenses and all those gifts that legislators received are reported as if they're receiving the gifts from lobbyists so the public can find out and make up their own minds about who's influencing what. Farley's bill went nowhere. For most of his existence, Alec stayed out of the national news. That changed in March 2012 when a gunshot sounded in the Florida night. Trayvon Martin unarmed, but for a bag of candy and an iced tea that he was carrying. You'll recall that the shooter in Trayvon Martin's death was protected at first by Florida's so-called Stand Your Ground law. That law was the work of the National Rifle Association, whose lobbyist was standing right beside Governor Jeb Bush when he signed it into law in 2005. Although ALEC didn't originate the Florida law, it seized on it for the Stand Your Ground model it would circulate in other states. 
24 of them have passed a version of it. Here's Rashad Robinson of colorofchange.org on CNN's The Situation Room. How did this law not only get in place in Florida, but around the country? And all the fingers kept pointing back to Alec. When civil rights and grassroots groups learned about Alec's connection to Stand Your Ground laws, they were outraged. Alec doesn't do its work alone. They do it with some of the biggest corporate brands in America. Here is Lisa Gray speaking with Chris Matthews on MSNBC's Hardball. Tell us what you know about what the impact has been of the, of the Trayvon Martin case in terms of funding this organization, which has been pushing these stand your ground laws. This is a group that has lost funders in the last few weeks as people have learned about Alec's role in promoting stand your ground laws. Before long, corporations were pulling out of Alec, including Coca-Cola. Kraft Foods, McDonald's, Mars, Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson. Caught in the glare of the national spotlight, Alec tried to change the subject. Here's Alec's spokesperson, Caitlin Buss on Fox News. Well, you know, I think the, the entire debate needs to be reframed. And really what Alec is, is a bipartisan association of state legislators. Um, we have you know, legislators of all political stripes coming together to talk about the most critical issues facing the states and, and trying to come up with the best solutions to face some of the all problems. Right, so, we're your having. point is it's not a partisan organization. But the floodgates had opened. At least 40 corporations have fled Alec, including many additional big names. Still, many companies have stayed in, and Alec continues to strengthen ties to conservative groups. In 2012, it held a high-level, closed-door meeting with congressional conservatives in Washington to better coordinate policy goals. John Nichols. Here's the interesting thing. This story isn't done. This is an ongoing fight in America, and it really gets us to a, a question of how do you counter so much organized power, organized money in our politics? Last year, Common Calls filed a complaint about Alec with the Internal Revenue Service. The late Bob Edgar. We think there's tax fraud involved. The group is challenging Alec's tax-free status, claiming that Alec is a corporate lobbying group masquerading as a public charity. And this year, Arizona legislator Steve Farley has reintroduced his Alec Accountability Act in the state Senate this time. Meanwhile, researchers continue to pour over Alec's documents connecting the dots between its corporate patrons and compliant legislators. Again, Mary Batari. State by state by state, citizens have to decide. Do they want legislators to go to fancy resorts and sit behind closed doors with lobbyists and write their bills and then bring them back and introduce them without exposing their ALEC roots, or do they want to do something about that? Doug Klopp of Common Cause. As more and more people become aware of the role of the American Legislative Exchange Council, they are becoming more aware that this corporate agenda does not match the values of the American people. Citizens are catching on, but Alec is still everywhere. Watch for it, coming soon to a state house near you. And sure enough, since that report last year, Alec has kept on coming. Now, though, the word is out, and Alec can no longer hide in the shadows. When its lawmakers and lobbyists got together last month in Oklahoma City to draft some more model bills, they were met by hundreds of protesters. Firefighters, teachers, environmentalists, teamsters, religious leaders, all with one message. Alec is not okay! Alec is not okay! Let me tell you a little more about what Alec has been up to. In the interest of a healthy environment, 29 states have laws requiring utilities to provide a portion of their electricity from renewable energy sources. The idea, of course, is to cut back on the use of fossil fuels, which, as everyone knows, contribute to global warming. Yet even as headlines about climate chaos confront us every day, ALEC is doing its damnedest to undermine the use of clean, renewable energy. The Electricity Freedom Act is one of ALEC's model bills. Sounds great. Who doesn't like freedom? But the bill amounts to an effort by the fossil fuel industry to curtail the freedom of states to set renewable energy standards by repealing those state laws. In the last two years, 21 of the 29 states with renewable energy standards have seen bills proposed that would weaken or repeal them. Over half of them 
pushed by lawmakers with confirmed ALEC ties. In two states, Ohio and New Hampshire, such bills have already become law. It will hardly surprise you that ALEC gets millions of dollars from the fossil fuel industry, or that companies that have served on the ALEC task force that produced the Electricity Freedom Act include representatives of, hold your breath, ExxonMobil, Peabody Energy, and Coke Industries. Now, ALEC doesn't like all this to be publicized. It doesn't like exposure to sunshine at all. In fact, they've recently begun including fine print on their materials saying they believe the documents are, quote, not subject to disclosure under any state freedom of information or public records act. Got it? Not subject to disclosure under any state freedom of information or public records act. So when your elected legislators are meeting with corporate lobbyists behind closed doors, Alec thinks you, the public, the voter, have no right to know what they have done or even talked about. That's not all. Alec thinks that even the name Alec has gotten far too much attention. So it's come up with a new strategy, described recently by its chief flack in a memo to his members. Quote, you may have noticed we are limiting the use of the acronym ALEC. Over the last year, the word ALEC has been used to conjure up images of a distant, mysterious Washington alphabet organization of unknown intentions. So the organization has refocused on the words exchange and counsel to emphasize our goal of a broad exchange of ideas to make government work better and more efficiently. Oh yes, but better and more efficient government for whom? Alec's Private Enterprise Advisory Council still contains a who's who of elite corporate power. Its health care agenda still calls for privatizing Medicare, its economic agenda for tax cuts for the rich, and its education agenda for more public money going to private schools. And there's always the spirit of Paul Weirich. I don't want everybody to vote. Who, as you will remember, wanted less voter turnout, not more. That spirit suffused Alex's sponsorship last year of so-called voter reform measures, which would have made it harder for young, elderly, and low-income Americans to vote. And for sheer audacity in the capture of government, you can't beat what happened under the Capitol Dome in South Dakota earlier this year. Alec allies decided the cost of sending some state legislators to wine and dine with those corporate lawyers and lobbyists should be paid by taxpayers. And that wasn't enough. Those same South Dakota taxpayers now have to pay Alec dues for legislators remembers. It's like tipping the thief for picking your pocket. But give them credit where credit's due. The political, religious, and corporate right conceived a brilliant strategy for advancing their agenda by going to the states. Brilliant, but disingenuous. They choose to talk about free markets when in fact their member corporations prefer to arrange the markets to their advantage. They boast that government closest to the people is, quote, fundamentally more effective, more just, and a better guarantor of freedom than the distant, bloated federal government in Washington, D.C. But what is just about laws written to benefit powerful organized interests at the expense of everyone else? What is just about going to great lengths to make sure the people don't know who is writing those laws? If getting closer to the people is really your goal, it's curious behavior to cover your tracks, keep your sessions closed to the press, and do most of the people's work in secret. No, when all is said and done, the pro-capitalist magazine Businessweek got it right. Quote, part of Alec's mission is to present industry-backed legislation as grassroots work. But their cover's been blown. The protests are growing and the story's not going away. We'll be reporting on it in the months ahead.
Coming up on Warriors and Company, Baltimore Velasquez, the people's organizer. Son, I got to ask you a question. I said, yeah, go ahead. He says, uh, well, um, uh, you're the only person I've ever had here as a volunteer that hasn't complained about the rats. Why is that? So I told him my rat story that I grew up with the rats. The couch that uh, in the living room was my bed and my brother's bed. He slept on one end and I slept on the other end. When we'd hear the, uh, the, uh, the scratching on the back of that couch, we'd kick each other and pull the blanket taut and, um, to make kind of like a trampoline for the rat. And the rat would jump down on the, on the blanket and when we'd hear that, we'd go with our fists underneath, boom, like that, to see how far we could make the rat fly. And that was our game, to see how far we could make the rat fly. But um, the, the man says, he looked kind of stunned, and he said, he said, good Lord, son, why aren't you doing something for your own people? And that's what uh, hmm. provoked the thought. I thought, I need to go back and start organizing the migrant workers and try to follow the lessons of the civil rights movement uh, to uh, speak for people and organize them so they can speak for themselves. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. Moyers and Company is produced by Public Affairs Television. You can learn more about the team that collaborates to produce the series at BillMoyers.com. Our radio producer is Helen Sulfan. Our editor is Paul Henry Desjardins. Funding is provided by Carnegie Corporation of New York, celebrating 100 years of philanthropy and committed to doing real and permanent good in the world. The Kohlberg Foundation, Independent Production Fund, with support from the Partridge Foundation, a John and Polly Guth charitable fund. The Clements Foundation, Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The Herb Alpert Foundation, supporting organizations whose mission is to promote compassion and creativity in our society. The Bernard and Audrey Rappaport Foundation. The John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information at macfound.org. Ann Gumowitz, the Betsy and Jesse Fink Foundation, the HKH Foundation, Barbara G. Fleischman, and by our sole corporate sponsor, Mutual of America, designing customized individual and group retirement products. That's why we're your retirement company. <laughs>